podcast from Aberdeen Investment Trusts. Hello and welcome to today's podcast on the Dunedin Income Growth Investment Trust. I'm Cherry Reynard and with me today are the Trust Managers, Ben Ritchie and Rebecca McLean. We're here to discuss interest rates, the economy and how that's influencing positioning on the Trust. So welcome Ben, welcome Rebecca. Now, Rebecca, you've joined the Trust quite recently, so I wonder if you could sort of introduce yourself and talk a bit about your background. Yes, thank you, Terry. So um, good to good to speak today. Um, as you say, I joined the Trust earlier on this year, um, having been in responsible investment for 12 years, um, I have seen um, it move from niche to the mainstream. Um, and I started my career as a responsible investment analyst at Aberdeen, um, where I was doing um, thematic research into environmental and social issues and corporate engagement on ESG topics. So that's that's where I've come from. Um, but I moved to the UK equity team about six years ago as an investment director um, and have um, been managing mostly sustainable funds. So the UK Sustainable Fund and the UK Ethical Fund are the sort of two funds that I've been working on in addition to um, some others. So I think this um, provides a useful background and experience for this investment trust, given its UK exposure, but also the relatively recent sustainable approach, which has been included in the, the fund approach. And um, I think places the trust in quite a unique position within the UK equity income sector. It's differentiated and the sustainable investment criteria really stand it out within the broader sector. So I'm delighted to be on the trust and working alongside Ben. Great. OK, thank you, Rebecca. I'll um, I'll direct the first question to you, if I if I may. So this week saw a big interest rate hike from the Bank of England. Um, but on the other hand, there were some sort of relatively warm words about interest rates not having to rise much more at the same time. Um, what have you seen in terms of the impact on investment markets? Yes, indeed. Um, the Bank of England raised rates this week by 75 basis points, taking the bank rate to 3%. And this is in the context of high inflation that we have in the UK, um, reaching over 10% in September. But meanwhile, as you, as you say, the bank did strike a dovish tone um, pointing to market expectations for peak rates and suggesting they were too high. Um, and I think this, the reason for this, and speaking to our economists at Aberdeen, this is because looking into next year, there is um, some concern around the health of the UK economy. Indeed, our economists are expecting the UK economy to contract next year um, and for there to be a recession which could last longer than than some expect. So on the back of this we've we've seen you know some quite dramatic um, shifts in the market and we've spoken about these on the podcast already this year but there's been a strong rotation in the market um, into value sectors and away from some quality and growth sectors. And whilst the UK index did recover um, and rose in October, some of those trends continued. So um, energy did particularly well. Um, but there is some level of optimism in the market around the, the pace of, of central bank rate increases and um, looking to looking to the potential for those to start to slow. 
Um, but high interest rates and inflation do create headwinds for corporate earnings, particularly companies who've got a lot of leverage are going to face higher refinancing costs um, and companies are having to deal with commodity price inflation. So as I say, these do, this does benefit certain sectors like energy, um, but it has you know, is is a, a difficult situation for many companies to manage when they look out to next year. So what are we doing? Well, we continue our, our approach to focusing on bottom-up stock selection. And we think that going forward, the environment should be more balanced for stock picking. Valuations are depressed in anticipation of a slowdown. And we think that this is creating some mispricing opportunities, which we're looking to take advantage of. So um, the threat of inflation, a potential global downturn will put pressure on earnings. But we think that the companies that are held in the investment trust should be relatively well placed to manage these challenges. The trust is looking to invest in quality companies with strong pricing power and healthy balance sheets and indeed companies which are managing their environmental, social and governance risks. And these companies should emerge from a recession in a stronger position and do relatively well. So we're, we're mindful of that, the uncertainty and the outlook, but we're, we're focused on our approach. This isn't changing. Um, and indeed, we're looking to take advantage of some of the share price weakness to add selectively to companies that we think are mispriced on a medium term view. Great. OK, thank you. Um, ben, if, if I could bring you in here. Um, sterling has continued to be pretty weak in spite of some stability returning to UK politics. Um, I know you've got a fair bit of international exposure in the trust. Have you seen companies benefiting from that, either on the sort of capital growth or earnings or dividend side? Well, I think overall, weaker sterling is good news for for UK equities. You know, 70% or so of revenues in the market come from overseas. And broadly speaking, weaker sterling drives, you know, higher translation of revenues, probably drives, uh, you know, enhanced profit margins and and, and drives better cash and, and ultimately better dividend distributions for investors. So, you know, weak sterling isn't all bad for UK equities. I think overall, in terms of our positioning, you know, we're a little bit overweight the mid-cap part of the market. We've got about 25% of the portfolio, maybe 30 if you add in some of the small caps into that area. That probably puts us 10 percentage points overweight the mid-cap space. And that typically tends to be a little bit more domestic in terms of its exposure. And that's probably been the area that's been the weakest part of the portfolio this year as the economy's proved challenging where companies have had input costs in dollars to deal with and revenues perhaps more in sterling. Um, but I think overall for the portfolio, we're probably you know, fairly neutral in terms of our exposures. And and it's really, you know, I think, uh, you know, a sort of a, a fairly sort of you know, mixed picture, really. So sterling, good overall for the market in terms of our relative positioning. It's it's fairly neutral. OK, great. And, and sticking with you, I mean, what are the prospects for dividend growth over the next kind of six months or so? I mean, can companies still deliver as the economy weakens or, or do investors need to be prepared for some stagnation in their in their income? 2022 has been a year where dividend distributions have surprised on the upside. So that's been one of the really positive dynamics for us this year. It's been a, a much better outturn for income than we'd expected at the start of the year. But I think you can start to see some of those headwinds starting to kick in. And I would say dividend distribution tends to be quite back-end loaded. It's quite late cycle. So, you know, companies need to start to find, initially they'll sort of hold their dividends or grow them a little bit. It takes a while before the rate of growth and perhaps dividend cuts start to start to come through. So 
I think it, you know, it does always tend to be a bit late cycle. 22s look pretty good, but I suspect that we'll get a bit more cautious messaging at the start of 23. And if we are going to see dividend cuts, I suspect they would probably start to come in as we move through interim reporting in 23 and full year reporting 24. So it's somewhere away. I mean, this year has been, you know, been very good. Uh, but I think we still feel that underlying, you know, the portfolio can generate a, a healthy you know, mid-single digit type revenue growth from, from the companies in the portfolio, you know, three, four, five percent on average over the long term, we think is quite deliverable. You know, I suspect next year will be okay. And it might be that 24 is going to be the year where where life is a little bit more difficult for income. But, you know, again, we would expect, as we have been in the past, for the portfolio to be more resilient uh, than the market by some margin. Um, Rebecca, um, turning to you again, I wonder if we can look at a couple of the holdings in the portfolio. I believe um, Taylor Wimpy and Unilever are kind of both companies you've been you've been adding recently. Um, perhaps you could talk about those. Yes, Taylor Wimpy um, is a new holding within the trust. It's one of the largest residential developers in the UK, building over 14,000 new homes last year. Um, so this company is addressing what is a structural undersupply of housing in the UK. And in addition, it's affordable housing division, which makes up about nearly 20% of its completions and um, supports that area of the market. So the shares have been, along with the, the, the broader house building sector, have been very poor year to date, nearly halving in value in anticipation of what will be a slowdown in demand for new housing, given mortgage rates have increased and the challenge around affordability. We're cognizant of these headwinds that the company's facing, but we think that the valuation provides an attractive entry point for the shares. The company has a strong order book. Um, it has a strong balance sheet with nearly 20% of its market cap held in cash, high margins and returns. And from an income perspective, its 9% dividend yield is over two times covered. And the company has made strong commitments to continue distributing in the event of a, what, could, what could be a, a severe downturn. So... We think we're aware of these of the headwinds and we think we're sort of cognizant of them, but we think the share price is pricing in quite a negative scenario if we think if we're looking at the company on a three to five year view. The trust has been adding to our position in Unilever over the last couple of months. This is a well-known household goods company, and we see it as an ESG leader. The company's demonstrated good pricing power in the recent recent inflationary environment, with prices running over double digits. Um, but we believe this is testament to the investment that the company's made in its brand and in its product. There are some questions about the elasticity of demand going into next year, given the price inflation. But we think the company should fare relatively well. And the profitability of the company should benefit in the event of some easing in the commodity price in price environment, which, speaking to the company, they are starting to see. So we think that the company should deliver some resilient earnings through what could be a tough couple of years for many companies and sectors. From an ESG perspective, we see it as an ESG leader. Um, the company is exposed to material supply chain risks and does face a fair amount of scrutiny. That said, it has set ambitious targets around its own impact, 
including a net zero target by 2030 and an ambition to half the amount of virgin plastic in its packaging by 2025. So we think this, these are these are admirable targets um, and they also have the potential to support the company's pricing and competitive positioning as consumers become more environmentally focused going forward. Great. Okay, thanks. And then um, just finally, Ben, I, I wonder, can you talk a bit about how the trust uses the flexibility of the investment trust structure? But, you know, my, my instinct is that it should be really useful at a time like, like this, but perhaps you could talk about it in a bit more detail. I think there are sort of three aspects really to the investment trust structure that are that are really helpful and, and help differentiate the investment proposition from a traditional open-ended fund. I think firstly is the ability to have gearing. So we we have some leverage within the portfolio. And I think it, at the end of the day, over the long run, that's going to amplify our returns. So we have about 8% leverage. So if we, you know, let to keep it simple, if over the long term markets deliver 7%, um, then perhaps you know having the sort of eight to ten percent gearing can allow us to increase our returns by you know, around ten percent. So perhaps you know after costs, maybe we're able to generate an extra half percent or something of returns, which doesn't really sound like a great deal, but half percent over seven percent is actually you know quite quite a significant increase and goes quite a long way to offsetting the cost of the portfolio. The other angle that I think is also worth uh, picking up is the ability of the board, I think, to hold the managers to account. So I think having that independent board uh, discussing, formulating strategy, debating, overseeing really makes uh, a big difference. Uh, and I think that's also something that, that shouldn't be uh, overlooked when considering uh, the investment trust structure as well. And I think the other thing that's really important when it comes to income uh, is the ability of the, the company structure to be able to distribute consistently. So in the open-ended structure, you're not really able to retain reserves, which means that the distribution is much more tied in to the amount of income that you generate during that particular financial year. Rather than within the closed-end structure, you're able to basically put reserves aside on the balance sheet, both income reserves and capital reserves, and the company potentially can distribute those reserves in years where it doesn't have income that fully covers its dividend distribution. It can use both income and capital to be able to do that. And that puts the company in a very strong position uh, to be able to consistently uh, deliver income to investors and for investors where that income distribution is important in terms of their financial planning or where they're relying on that to uh, supplement their income, um, then I think that's extremely useful that they can have a very high degree of confidence uh, that dividends are going to be uh, sustainable within uh, an investment trust structure because there's just that much more flexibility. So I think it's really those three things, uh, the leverage that can uh, increase uh, in, a, in a prudent way and enhance uh, and certainly offset costs and, in, and modesty and enhance returns. I think it's the board that ultimately holds uh, investors to account uh, and, and does a job of setting the strategy and direction for the trust in an independent way, looking after shareholders' best interests. Uh, and then it's the ability to consistently uh, deliver uh, income back to investors over time. And I think it's those three things that really make uh, the investment trust structure uh, very attractive uh, for an income distributing uh, fund. Great. OK, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll conclude there. Um, so um, thank you to Ben and Rebecca for those insights today. And as always, you can find out more about the trust at www.dunedenincomegrowth.co.uk. And thank you so much for tuning in.
This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation, or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein, and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only, or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections, or estimates, and provide no guarantee of future results.